0: Welcome to LIFE, bringing you insight and experiences into love, relationships, and fertility, with a focus on enjoying life and moving forward. On today's podcast, we'll be speaking about IVF with Dr. Susan LaBelle. Welcome to LIFE, love, insight, fertility, experiences. Today we'll be speaking with Dr. Susan LaBelle, reproductive endocrinologist and founder of Metropolitan Reproductive Medicine in New York. We'll be talking about what IVF is, when to have it, and things to consider prior to beginning. Dr. LaBelle trained at Princeton and Harvard. She had the opportunity to work in both large institutions and small, ultimately deciding to open her own private office, allowing her to provide a very personal experience to her patients. I learned of her practice from my patients and knowing how unique a private office is compelled me to reach out. Dr. LaBelle, thank you so much for being here today. I think IVF is such an
1: important thing to talk about, so where would you like to start? Well first of all, thank you very much for having me. Um, so maybe to start with what happens with natural conception. And oh, okay. That um, natural conception is not as efficient as most people think. That if you have a perfectly fertile couple and they have intercourse at the right time of the month, the chances of conceiving are only 20%. People do not realize that. They don't understand that statistic. On a given month, right, the chances are 20%. Mm-hmm. Most people who will conceive on their own will do so within six months. What happens to happen is that after a woman gets her period, the brain produces a hormone called follicle-stimulating hormone which we abbreviate as FSH, and that stimulates the ovary to mature an egg, which develops in a little cyst that we call a follicle. And after about two weeks, the brain sends out another hormone that triggers ovulation. And the egg, which is a microscopic one cell, needs to be picked up by the fallopian tube. Sperm needs to swim up from the vagina through the cervix, through the uterus, into the tube, fertilize the egg. The egg has to start growing and dividing. Then after about two or three days, travel down into the uterus, and after another couple days, implant in the lining, which needs to be receptive. So there's a lot of steps involved. There's a lot of
0: steps, and I agree with you that most people don't know all the steps, and a lot of
1: people don't need to know all the steps. It's those that have to. One out of six couples has difficulty conceiving. Yes. So if you know six people, and you want to be supportive to your friends or family members, it's good to educate yourself. I
0: agree. I tell people that on a regular basis when they say that they don't know anybody. I, I use that statistic, actually, because it's an important one for people to realize and you know be able to share information or maybe even understanding of what, what
1: it takes to have a baby. Over 40 years ago now, in vitro fertilization was developed, which has really revolutionized the way physicians can help couples conceive. Mm -hmm. And with in vitro fertilization, what we do is we um, teach the woman to take injections of follicle-stimulating hormones. So instead of one egg developing, multiple eggs will develop. And then after about 10 days of medication, the eggs are mature, And they're retrieved um, using anesthesia, so it doesn't hurt, but by placing a needle transvaginally into the ovary under ultrasound guidance. And it usually takes about 15 minutes to a half hour to perform the procedure. Then um, in the laboratory, the eggs and sperm are combined. And with traditional IVF, they're allowed to grow and the embryos to develop and not every egg will fertilize and not every embryo will be a healthy embryo, but that's part of the selective process to make a healthy baby.
0: That retrieval number is so important to so many women because they get nervous. I only retrieve five eggs or five follicles or we retrieve 20 and we only have a couple left that are actually viable. How do you help people understand that the number that's retrieved may or may not come to
1: fruition? Well, the um, the number of eggs retrieved is dependent on several factors. One is the, the number of follicles that a woman has. Um, as a woman ages, the number of baseline follicles decreases, um, but there are young women who have a smaller number of follicles, without any negative impact on in their infertility, or on in their fertility rather, and there are women who have a lot of eggs, but the quality isn't um, very good. Um, That's so- such an important point. I'm so glad that you
0: said that because it's so true. We're all born with a certain amount of follicles, and from the moment we're born, we start using, you know, using or losing these follicles, and so by the time we hit twenty, we've already kind of gone through a process of not having as many as we did. So 35, that number, it's kind of a barometer for people. It's not as if you, it's a magic number. And what you're saying really is that if you're in your 20s, you may have not as good of quality of egg as somebody in their 30s. We don't know until we look at her. Maybe there's not quite as many. It's really a matter of quality,
1: not quantity, but the yes. number that we get is dependent on the inherent number and the dosage of the medication. Oh, and okay. And medicine is an art and a science, so mm-hmm. that um, the number of eggs will depend on the medication dosage that the physician gives and also um, on the retrieval process, although to less of an extent. Um, but... There are people who only have a few eggs that are good quality, and people can then get a lot of eggs. Um, so it's not something to get too hung up on. But after we get the eggs, there That must be such a relief for people to hear you say. So there's a lot of variables in the process. Right. Yeah. And so after the eggs are retrieved, um, then they're handed off to the embryologist. And the eggs and sperm are combined in the laboratory, allowed to grow for three to five days. And then with traditional IVF, we put back um, one or a few, depending on the quality and the patient's age, embryos. And that's done um, with the small catheter transvaginally. There's no anesthesia needed. It just takes a few minutes. And then hopefully over the next couple of days, the embryo implants in the uterus and um, that um, 14 days after the retrieval, we can do a pregnancy test. Um, it's such a roller coaster for people. So, well, it's a process and it's the, important yeah. to emphasize that. Yes. And, and it's a lot of
0: waiting. That's why they call it the wait or the waiting game or well, the when, time.
1: When patients, before doing IVF, we have a rather involved consent form that we give Mm -hmm. patients. And it's not uncommon for people to ask me, well, what's the hardest part? Is it the retrieval? Is it the transfer? Is Mm -hmm. it doing the shots? And my answer is always the same. The hardest part is waiting after the embryo transfer uh, to get the results. But it's important to keep a big picture when doing IVF. And um, I always tell patients that I look at each individual cycle from what it means for that cycle and also in the bigger picture. And that there have been millions of babies born now through IVF worldwide, but most women who have children with IVF don't get their baby from their first cycle. And that's important to keep in mind. Why is that? Well. Um, it goes back to the underlying 20% chance of success naturally, and sometimes it, the egg isn't a good quality, that there might be something chromosomally wrong with the egg or something chromosomally wrong with the sperm, mm-hmm. or as the embryo starts growing and dividing, there may be um, problems. And so some of the time when someone doesn't get pregnant, it's, it's actually a good Um, nature doing what it's supposed to because it's quality control right and so the goal is not to get pregnant the goal is to have a healthy child and so if someone doesn't get pregnant with IVF that it may be there was something inherent with the egg or the sperm or it could have been a totally normal embryo, but as it started growing and dividing, things got off track, or there could be an issue with the lining. And once someone gets pregnant, there's still a risk of miscarriage. Most miscarriages happen because it wouldn't be a healthy pregnancy. So it's very important to keep the big picture in mind when doing IVF.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm glad that you say that, and I'm glad that you speak to your patients about that, because that helps with the perspective. Of the situation and of how intricate each detail is and that's why i'm so glad that you're here to talk about this today because people get overloaded with how much information is to take in with really what an ivf involves and it's helpful for them to realize that the weight is a painful experience emotionally and that really a lot of the things that they're going through physically are not painful but they're emotionally charged because we want to see if we're going to have a baby when this is done. And you don't know, based on what you're just saying, because we need to make sure that everything is healthy and we want to have a healthy baby and a healthy pregnancy. How do you then find out if the person does miscarry or if there is a situation that comes up where they need that second one because you said typically it takes more than one? What what
1: kind of investigation or medical treatment has to go on for that? Well, it depends on the situation. So. Mm-hmm. Um, and more recently um, we've had a lot of advancements in freezing embryos right. and it's becoming very do, popular and um, a lot of programs have switched to doing mostly frozen cycles um, and that has advantages and disadvantages there's the advantage of the body can um, recover from the stimulation for the retrieval and Um, It affords the opportunity in certain circumstances to test the embryos chromosomally, although that may or may not be necessary. Um, And even when the chromosomes are normal, the implantation rate is generally about 60%. So that's not the whole story. Um, Most people will get pregnant. Um, but it's, it's a matter of timing. And so if someone does a cycle a transfer, and doesn't get pregnant, we look back on it, most of the time, we don't know the reason why, and we try mm-hmm. again, and they get pregnant. So you know, it depends on the circumstances that some situations are more favorable than others. But there are times where I go into a cycle, and I'm prepare the patient that this probably isn't gonna work the first time, and it does work, mm-hmm. and vice versa. There are times where you think this is gonna be an easy cycle, and it, it um, takes more. But um, with persistence, most people will get there. Yes. Yeah, so
0: what is somebody supposed to look for, ask about before they start IVF? Well,
1: most people um, who present for fertility treatment will not need to do IVF when someone presents for fertility treatment that uh, for someone presents with infertility we first do an evaluation and um, we evaluate the woman's eggs whether her fallopian tubes are open um, her uterus and the sperm and um, more than half the time when a couple has difficulty conceiving it's all or in part related to sperm factors. And really. So um, and about 20% of the time when a couple has difficulty conceiving, we don't know what the reason is.
0: Yeah, It's important because there's been so much new research related to the male factor, and that hasn't been available before. So it's important for people to realize that we need both to be able to work
1: together. To fertilize the embryo so that there's a healthy baby. Well, IVF has really revolutionized the male aspect of fertility because um, a little over 10 years after IVF was started, um, a technique called ICSI (intracytoplasmic sperm injection) was developed, and In that situation where there's a decrease in the sperm parameters, the embryologist can take a sperm and place it directly into the egg. And this has enabled men with very low sperm counts or even no sperm in the ejaculate where the urologist can go in and remove sperm from the testicle, which normally wouldn't be able to fertilize an egg on its own because it hasn't undergone the proper processing. Um, enable fertilization it's amazing but it's a catch-22 situation so on the one hand if there's a problem with the sperm you can go to IVF and do IVF Would but that be a first step it depends on the female aspect mm-hmm. of things so um, you know if you have a young couple and the it's important to have the husband evaluated because there can be conditions, hormonal or structural, that can be addressed by a urologist and enable the couple to conceive on their own um, and not go through IVF. On the other hand, if you have a situation where the woman has um, reasons of her own to make it difficult to conceive, then there's little benefit to the husband undergoing treatment and you're best off going straight to IVF. So, so, the first thing is to do an evaluation, and sometimes, you know, again, if the husband has a very low sperm count and it's not readily treatable, um the couple will probably be best off going straight to IVF. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, if there's a moderate decrease in the husband's sperm count, Um, then it's often advisable to try inseminations where the sperm is processed and put inside the uterus right at the time of ovulation. And per cycle, the chance is lower than with IVF, but it's much less expensive and much less invasive. So most of the time it's worth trying that before going to IVF. Right.
0: And that is a huge concern of a lot of people the financial aspect and also the physical aspect of of the whole treatment process when you go through infertility and you don't get pregnant right away, infertility treatments.
1: Right. And um, so it's very important to emphasize the need for patients when trying to conceive. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's hard. Um, yeah. But um, so the first thing most patients need to do is readjust their time frame, which is easier said than done. Absolutely. But, <laughs> but if you, to have, as one of my patients says, he he wants to manage his expectations. So, you know, most people who come into my office wanted to be pregnant six months ago or a year ago. And then to say, like, okay, well, it may be another six months to a year. But, and then um, sometimes
0: people are told, you know let's take a month off. Let's give your body a break. What do you recommend people do when you've suggested that they take a little bit of a break to give their body
1: a time to rest after these treatments? Well, the body is very resilient. It's not so much that the body needs a break, but that if the ovaries have been stimulated, the, the follicles need to um, to. Re- to decompress and to return to normal size Um, and so um, but there's a break from treatment which is very different from a break from trying Mm -hmm. so there may be a cycle where we do medication and then the ovaries need to Get back down to normal size, but it's been well documented that there's an increased chance of natural conception in those so called off months. So, um, and psychologically, sometimes people need a break. That I once had a patient who had two tubal pregnancies, and her husband wanted to keep going, and she needed a break, so I wrote her prescription for a trip to Italy. And <laughs> her, her husband was very good at filling the prescription, and then she came back and did IVF and got pregnant. But, That's fabulous. Sometimes um, we need that break.
0: But you and I had also chatted before, and you had said that sometimes it's it's
1: also good for a patient to go for a second opinion. It, yeah, so that there's a progression. I think the analogy is somewhat like doing IVF is a little bit like doing a cesarean section that sometimes people just want to have a scheduled c-section. They know when they're going to deliver. You do this the c-section, the baby's out, and not have to, you know, wait for the baby to go into labor or to try a vaginal delivery. Um, but in general, that the recovery from a vaginal delivery is much easier than from a c-section, and there's certain risks from a c-section. So there's certain times where it makes sense to go straight to C-section. But if you try to go for a vaginal delivery and end up needing a C-section, most of the time it was still worthwhile giving it a try. So it's like that with other treatments. I mean, fortunately, in this day and age, there's IVF, which has an overall very high success rate. But you want to try other things first. And um, and that... um, it can be very hard to predict what's going to work for an individual couple and if you take three couples with the same history the only thing you can predict with certainty is they'll have three different outcomes right and um and in an individual patient i have patients who have one child with insemination two with ivf one naturally and so um but um, you know, in general, it's worthwhile to try less invasive procedures before going to IVF. Um, but if a couple is concerned that they, they're they told they need IVF, I really encourage people to go for a second opinion. To evaluate if there's something else they could try first. Right, sometimes people come to me for IVF and to for a second opinion and I agree that they need IVF and then they know that. Or other times, there's things that have been missed in their treatment, or you know, other things that we can offer.
0: Well, one of the things you mentioned before, um, we have a few minutes left, was the freezing of the embryos. But there's been a lot of of um, activity and action and centers for freezing eggs. So a lot of younger women are going in and freezing their eggs, and a lot of people in general are doing that. Is there anything about that that you'd like to
1: comment on? Well. Freezing eggs is, is basically the stimulation of the eggs and then freezing them. So similar it, to what you were talking about
0: before when we first started chatting, that right. you have to stimulate. Right.
1: So it's basically the first mm-hmm. part of an IVF cycle. Right. And um, so on the one hand, it's nice to have that back up because you don't know what will have happen in life. But um, – and – there's a lot of marketing pressure now to get women to freeze their eggs and um, but um, you know it's sort of on the one hand to say okay well if you freeze your eggs at 21 they're going to be better quality than 31 but most people don't need that and there's the cost and uh, it's not been that long that we've been doing it successfully so we don't know if there's a factor with time and things, so and also the expense. So, you know, it's generally not till a woman starts getting to her 30s that we generally consider freezing eggs, unless of course she has cancer or some other medical condition um, or right. a family history of premature aging of the mm-hmm. ovaries. Um, but it's not a guarantee, and so that's important yeah. to remember. I think that's a really important point. The
0: freezing your eggs isn't a guarantee that those eggs will come to fruition in terms of having a, a child or a healthy embryo. And IVF because has... people are using it as a safety net. A lot of the single women that I, I work with or that I've met through the years, once they hit like thirty something, they go to freeze their eggs, thinking that that's almost like an insurance policy for them. But
1: People get life insurance at thirty, and um, and if it's reassuring to them, they're probably not going to use it. But if they have it and it gives them mm-hmm. peace of mind, then it, then it's worthwhile doing. Okay. Um, you know, just as IVF in general isn't guaranteed, it's it's not a guarantee, so um, it's something people can consider, but it's not for everyone, and um, that if someone's considering doing egg freezing, they may want to go for an evaluation, and if they have good ovarian reserve, say, okay, I can wait a couple of years, you know, versus not. Um.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it makes sense, and it's something that's important to consider, especially if you want a family to go for that test and go for the screening to see what the ovarian reserve is and to see if egg freezing is a really good viable option for you if you're not ready at that point in time. So I know some people in their 20s are doing that. Some people are told to go right to IVF at young ages. So I'm so glad that you are able to explain it because there's so many pieces to this puzzle that I think it was very helpful to have it clarified today and to understand the mind-body connection and how we have to stimulate and that it is an art in terms of the physician that you're going to uh, in developing and defining
1: what your treatment plan should be. Well, we're very fortunate to live in the times that we do. One other thing to mention is the use of IVF for genetic diseases and genetic testing. And so that, um, you know, couples that are carriers for cystic fibrosis um, can now do IVF and we can test the, freeze the embryos and um, test them and then just put back embryos that aren't Um, affected by the disease and that's really a wonderful advancement that we've had and um, as more and more genetic testing is coming out for different cancers and things I think it's something we'll be doing more of
0: sometimes there's a protocol where everybody should test and sometimes there's not do you think that everybody should have all of their embryos tested, or
1: do you think it's really case by case? Well, there's there's screening for chromosomal abnormalities. Okay. And um, in younger women, most embryos are going to be normal, mm-hmm. so it's a cost effective um, right. a- assessment. Versus in women over forty, most embryos are going to be abnormal, so yes, um, it, it's more effective to. To do it that way and that's different from screening for special for certain diseases yes so, it's an important distinction to make
0: because people will go and they'll hear this and then there's so much information from the doctor at once that they'll go home and they'll google everything and well, then when you google it it becomes very
1: overwhelming and you read all kinds of different things so uh, the internet is great but it really has to be taken with um, caution and mm-hmm. unfortunately while there's a tremendous amount of good information there there's a trendis- tremendous amount of misinformation and i would caution people to go to websites from institutions like american society for reproductive medicine yes um when getting information
0: yeah i would absolutely underscore that that we want to go to reputable sites So thank you so much for coming on today. It's such a pleasure to meet somebody who practices the way you do because it's so unusual to find somebody who has an office that is a private office where people could just go in and speak to the doctor and
1: have that unique attention. Um, If somebody wants to get a hold of you, how would they do that? Uh, They can call our office, and it's Metropolitan Reproductive Medicine. Mm -hmm. And we have a website, and our phone number is 212-580-2252.
0: Thank you so much. And if anybody has any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to me at lauriemetz.net.